your question today, and if you are new to us, you know that we feature each week a question that uh, gets you out of your shell a little bit and, and gets you to meet somebody new. And so today we're going to talk about New Year's resolutions. And uh, essentially, if uh, it's a sort of a two-part question. So do you, do you practice New Year's resolutions? Do you make New Year's resolutions? And if you don't, why not? And, and I'm not, that's not judgmental. It's just maybe you don't. But if you do, what is the most difficult one, that the difficult thing you've ever resolved that you actually followed through on? So maybe you resolved to give up smoking and you in fact did, or you resolved to lose weight and you did something along those lines. So find somebody that you don't know very well and find out about their New Year's resolution. You have five minutes, you may begin. So have you all resolved never to make New Year's resolutions? Well, about 10 years ago, the pastor of a, a large and growing church was invited to speak to a convention consisting of mainline Protestants. And so that would be Lutherans, Methodists, Episcopalians, Presbyterians, and so on. And so 
after he was invited, he asked the group, well, why did you want me to come and speak? Because the church that he was part of was not a mainline Protestant church. It was more evangelical. And uh, they said, well, your church is growing, and many of our churches are not, and so we thought that you could come and talk to us about church growth. Well, he responded by saying, well, I don't really know that much about church growth, uh, but what I would like to talk to you about is evangelism. <laughs> to which one of the inviters said, you know, it's funny that you mentioned the E word. We were just talking in our presbytery about how uncomfortable we are talking about the E word. Well, evangelism has kind of become one of those unmentionable words. It's a term that is just not appropriate in polite company. So in some circles, evangelism is now referred to as the E word. Um, now, Jonathan Merritt is the son of the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's also an award-winning writer for uh, the Atlantic Magazine. And he recently wrote a book that's titled Learning to Speak God from Scratch. Here's the cover of the book. And so in the book, Jonathan writes about he, he moved to New York City, and he talks about the conversation that he had with this woman as they were both waiting to catch the subway. So the woman asks Jonathan, well, where are you going? And Jonathan explains that he was going to a worship service, to which she responds, what does that mean? I've never heard that phrase before. He said, well, I'm going to a church. Well, she perked up at this point and said that she practiced the Baha'i faith. She held up her crystal, crystal amulet necklace and explained that it protected her from evil spirits. And she kindly asked Jonathan that if he was spiritually curious, she would read his chakra and access the invisible energy fields around his body. Well, Jonathan felt himself becoming more and more uncomfortable with the whole conversation. Uh, he kept looking down the subway tracks, waiting to see, you know, isn't that train coming yet? Uh, and but the thing was that this woman was spiritually curious, and she kept peppering him with questions about God and the Bible and the afterlife. And every time that he would begin to explain something to her, she would interrupt him by saying, well, I've never heard that word used before. What does that mean? Well, there were words that he took for granted, words like grace or gospel or salvation. She kept asking for the definitions of these things. And so he would stop and he'd try to explain it, but she didn't know anything about the meaning of words like sin or cross or the blood of Jesus. So Jonathan writes this book describing why most people, including the vast majority of Christians, have become increasingly uncomfortable talking with people outside of the church about God. And why we are particularly uncomfortable talking about the E-word, evangelism. Well, 79% of American adults say that they have very infrequent or no conversations about religion or spirituality outside the church. 79%. Four out of five Americans virtually say that they never talk to anyone about God or spirituality outside the church. And the interesting thing is that older adults are less likely to talk about God or spirituality than millennials. Younger generations are having more conversations than any other generation. So Jonathan Merritt, the writer, along with a major pollster, began digging into the reasons why four out of five Americans say they virtually never talk about, uh, about God or spirituality with anybody else outside of the church. And so here's some of the top reasons why people said that they have few or no conversations like this outside of the church. 28% said religious conversations always seem to create tension or arguments. 17% says I'm put off by how religion has been politicized. 15% said I don't, well excuse me, I don't feel like I know enough to talk about spiritual topics. 7% said, I don't want to be known as a religious person. It'd be interesting to see what Jesus would have to say about that. 6% said, I don't know how to talk about religious or spiritual topics without sounding weird. And then finally, 
said, I'm afraid people will see me as a fanatic or extremist. Well, there's a lot of personal discomfort, clearly, around followers of Jesus in regards to sharing our faith. We may know that it's something we're supposed to do. We love to read Bible stories and history about, and in history about people who have uh, shared their faith effectively. And we may even feel guilty that we don't share our faith more often. But the fact is, no amount of guilt or pressure is going to cause many of us to share our faith more often or even invite someone to church more frequently. And so uh, today I'm starting a, a brief, it's a two-part series that I've titled The E-Word. Now, of course, I'm talking about evangelism. But rather than try to persuade you to get out there and share your faith, which I said for many people is becoming more and more uncomfortable, I'd like to talk about two activities which are within reach of almost all of us. Let's stop talking about how we can jump over a bar that's seven feet high and start asking about whether we can step over a bar that's a foot off the ground. And so, in fact, I think both of these activities are precursors. We might call it pre-evangelism because it creates an environment in which a spiritual conversation can naturally emerge. So here's what we're going to talk about over the next uh, two weeks. Today, we're going to talk about encouraging others. And then uh, next week, we're going to talk about how we can express Jesus just as part of our daily life. And so today, the first message on the E-word, I'd like to talk about how to be an encourager. So let's pray. Father, I just I thank you uh, for this subject matter, that we would, through this, learn to become more effective evangelists for you by doing things that we may not normally think of as being evangelistic. We can open the door for conversations about spiritual things. So I just pray now that you would be in this entire message, that you would guide and direct me as I give it, and that you would open the ears and the hearts and minds of those who will hear. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to learn how to be better encouragers, uh, I'd like us today to consider a man who was the model of encouragement in the New Testament. And his name was Barnabas. Now, his given name was Joseph, and there's some controversy about exactly how Joseph got the name Barnabas. But what makes the most sense is that Barnabas is a name that's derived from two ancient Aramaic words. Um, of course, Aramaic is the language that would have been spoken in Israel at the time of Jesus. It's the language that Jesus more than likely spoke. Um, it is a Semitic language. It's related to Hebrew. Um, and it was probably initially used throughout the ancient Eastern world as the common language of merchants conducting business. And then because of that, it then spread to um, other, the rest of the population, essentially. And so the name Barnabas is derived from two of these Aramaic words. The first one is bar, which means son. All right? And then the second is nabi, or nabi, which means prophet. And so in Jewish culture, if you called someone a son of something, it meant that they were characterized by this thing, okay? So Jesus, if you will recall, called his disciples, James and John, sons of thunder. Now, perhaps he saw in them, you know, some sort of an impatient spirit that was easily stirred up. And so, you know, they were kind of blustering and quick-tempered. I don't know. I mean, that's just a, a, a for instance. But he named them that, right? And so um, to be called a son of something means that that's what people saw that you were, that you characterized. And so Barnabas was characterized by some sort of a strong prophetic gifting. And if you know uh, your scripture, you would know that one of the major effects of prophecy is encouragement. Just have to look at 1 Corinthians 14.3. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And so I think one of the ways that you can tell if you are hearing a true prophecy is if it impacts the life of the person uh, that you're speaking to in an encouraging way, right? You know, if somebody is coming up to you and 
is supposedly speaking of word of prophecy, and it's very condemning, and it just feels, it doesn't make you feel uplifted, then it's really not prophecy. Um, a person may think it is, but as Scripture clearly tells us, that's what prophecy looks like. It strengthens, it encourages, it comforts, it edifies, it builds up, doesn't tear down. All right, well, so who was Barnabas? Well, if you read through the letters of the Apostle Paul, you discover that Barnabas was someone who traveled with Paul on a lot of his missionary journeys. He was also a cousin of Mark, the Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And so in the book of Acts, we discover that Barnabas is just this big-hearted encourager and peacemaker. And in, in fact, as we're going to find out in a moment, Barnabas made an incredible contribution to the early church because he was such an encourager. Despite the fact that he did not write a single book of the New Testament, and he was not one of the original apostles, Barnabas is at the intersection of a number of major decisions within the early church. Uh, and it was because of Barnabas, who was sort of universally respected uh, by all segments of the early church, that he gave the green light to different people and to different movements in the church. And because of that, the church ended up being propelled forward. So Barnabas is this gifted encourager. He's sort of like the grease uh, in the gears of the early church, making everything run smoothly. He's the green light at the intersection, just kind of waving on the activity of the Holy Spirit. All right? So let's pause for just a moment to ask a little bit more basic question before we move on. If Barnabas's life was characterized by encouragement, what exactly do we mean by encouragement? Why is encouragement so important? Well, there was one psychologist that said this. Encouragement involves affirmations to instill courage, perseverance, confidence, inspiration, and hope. Encouragement literally means to put courage in someone. You might say, if you wanted a short definition, you could think of it like this. Encouragement is a courage infusion. It's a hope infusion. It's a confidence infusion. In ancient Greece, encouragement was the word that was used to describe the speeches by leaders and soldiers who are urging one another along in battle. And what you'll find out is that every person you meet is dying for some encouragement. Mark Twain once said this, I can live for two months on a good compliment. <laughs> Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Somebody says something, you did something well, and you're just like, yeah, that's me. So uh, another thing I found interesting is that if you go to the Smithsonian Museum in Washington, there's a display of several things that Abraham Lincoln had in his possession on the night that he was shot. And one of the things that he had is this worn-out newspaper clipping which celebrated Lincoln's accomplishments as president. And it reads that Abraham Lincoln is one of the greatest statesmen of all time. And so think about it. Even the president of the United States needs regular positive reinforcement in his life because negativity can so permeate everything that we do. Encouragement provides this kind of infusion, courage and confidence and hope and if you want to uh, you know, really understand the power of words and the power that words can have over somebody, just think of two simple words, no and yes. The difference between those two words is amazing. Our lives can be changed based upon whether someone says no to you or yes to you. Will you marry me? Did I get the job? Did I get into my dream school? See, one of the major themes in the Bible is the difference between the word no and the word yes. Justification, in the Apostle Paul's writings, essentially is the yes of God over your life. Justification puts us in the right with God. God says yes. Condemnation is essentially God's no over your life. God says, depart from me. 
And there's no decision that you will ever make that's more important than whether you say yes to Jesus as Lord in your life or no to Jesus as Lord in your life. You see, no shuts things down. No is discouraging. No closes doors. It's easy to say no. It's safe. No is a red light to new possibilities. Yes, on the other hand, is risk-taking. Yes is encouraging. Yes opens doors. Yes is the encouraging word that Jesus speaks to us over and over again. You see, Christians need to say no to bad choices and sinful behavior, but so many of us find ourselves saying no to things that really aren't bad choices. We find ourselves saying no because we're afraid or because the situation is new and we've never experienced this before or because you've never tried this particular thing before or because you just want to play it safe or because you feel like your security is being threatened in some way. No is a fear-based word in many cases. Yes is a faith-based word. No says the situation is hopeless. Yes says, with God's help, there's always hope. So what I want to do now, and use the life of Barnabas as, uh, as our jumping off point, is to give you four examples of encouragement and how Barnabas models this for us uh, in the New Testament. And so the first one, one simple way that we can encourage people uh, is to say yes to being generous. Say yes generosity. So if we go to Acts 4, verse 36 and 37, we see this. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. You see, one simple way of being encouraging, uh, of encouraging someone else is by being generous to them. There's often this anxiety. If you, you go to a restaurant with friends, there's this anxiety that sort of arrives at the end of the meal when the check is about to come. And you're kind of thinking, okay, well, how are we going to split this up? Or what's going to happen? Well, you know what? There's a really easy way to just relieve all the anxiety. Just pick up the check. Not always, but often. You see... Generosity is not a matter of having a lot of money. Don't kid yourself into thinking that if I just had $20,000 more a year, I would be more generous. It's not a matter of money. Generosity is a matter of motivation. All right? Be generous when you give a tip. Notice those who are serving and reward them with a tip that's worth working for. Certainly be a generous tipper of waiters and waitresses in people who clean your room in a hotel or people who carry your bags at the airport, drive taxis or Ubers or whatever, hairstylists. Notice who is serving you. You say, well, evangelism is hard for me. Well, start by being generous. Give thoughtful gifts. Remember people's special occasions in life, their birthdays, their anniversaries, the dates of funerals that they've lost a loved one. I'll tell you something right now. The more you are open-handed with sharing your money, the easier it's going to be for you to be open-mouthed in sharing the gospel. Barnabas was a man who said yes to generosity. So that's number one. What's number two? We'll say yes to sponsoring people. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 30. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. 
So Saul, who's later known as Paul, returns to Jerusalem. He's in a pretty difficult situation, right? His old associates have more than likely heard that he's defected from his Pharisaical beliefs, Pharisaical Judaism. And so they hated him because he's now a traitor, right? He's betrayed that particular faith. But see, even though that was the case, Paul always considered himself to be a lifelong Jew. The difference was, unlike the other Jews, Paul had met the one that he believed fulfilled all the promises of the Jewish Messiah that was to come. This was the promise that God had made to the Jewish people to send them a Messiah. So Paul's old associates among the Pharisees were rejecting him. On the other hand, the Jewish disciples of Jesus, with whom Paul now wanted to associate, had not forgotten what Paul was about not that long before. Right? They didn't know what he was, where he really was at this point. Right? Is, they're thinking, well, is this a guy who is just lying about his conversion so he could find out a little bit more about what the disciples are doing and then lock them all up or kill them all? What assurances did they have that, that Paul was really the real deal? Well, the assurances came from Barnabas, the son of encouragement. He essentially said, you don't need to know Saul. You just need to trust me. I have vetted Saul. I know about the integrity of his life and the reality of his conversion in Damascus. Saul needed someone to open the door for him to the disciples in Jerusalem, and it was Barnabas who ran ahead of him and opened the door and welcomed him in. You want to be an encourager? Then say yes to sponsoring people. And one of the greatest ways to encourage someone is to open a door for them by introducing especially young people to key contacts that you have in your life. Folks who can help them maybe with their career or that can help them advance more. Don't hoard all that relational equity. Over the years, many of us have gained, many of us have gained credibility in the eyes of our peers. And so our opinions are respected by others. And therefore, we can hold the door open for somebody else. So tell those who matter most to you, do you trust me? Well, if you do, I know this person, and this is someone that you need to get to know, or this is someone that you could use in your organization because they're just, they're good, they're talented, whatever, right? So how do we encourage? We say yes to generosity. We say yes to sponsoring people. And the third thing that we see from the life of Barnabas is to say yes to new situations. Let's look at Acts 11, 22 through 24. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So what's going on here? Well, the gospel is spreading to the entire Mediterranean world. Jews were talking to other Jews about Jesus being the Jewish Messiah, the fulfiller of all these promises that God had made, and they were believing. And so this conversion was happening among the Jewish people. But then some really daring people, some risk takers, went to the city of Antioch. And they're essentially saying, well, if the gospel is good news for the Jews, might it also be good news for the Gentiles? So they engaged in a little experiment. So they went and they talked to the non-Jews, the Gentiles, in the city of Antioch about Jesus. And the Gentiles in the city of Antioch were wide open to this gospel message. This was a message that they were waiting for. This was exactly the message that met their deepest needs. And so many of these Gentiles became followers of Jesus as Lord. And for those Jews, this was a totally new situation, okay? So you can imagine these Jewish followers of Jesus in Jerusalem going, well, my goodness, we really are not sure what to do here. 
he's got a bunch of Gentiles who are professing Jesus. We need to check this out. You know, are these Gentiles following the same Jesus that we follow? Are they trusting the same Jesus that we trust? You know, the way they worship and the way they do things is really different from what we do here in Jerusalem. We really need somebody to investigate this. And fortunately, by God's grace, the man they chose to check this out was Barnabas. So let's read this again. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true (coughs) to the Lord with all their hearts. (coughs) He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. You see, (laughs) so many people in the church, especially in the church, are afraid of changes in culture. And so the first response to anything new is, no, that's not the way it's always been done. How many church wars do you think have been fought about whether to sing out of a hymnal or to use transparencies on an overhead projector? Well, clearly God could not be honored if we don't have a book in our hands. And what about this new music? People in the church responded, in fear. Some said, no, no guitars, no, no drums. We need to play the same music that Jesus would have listened to, a pipe organ. (laughs) Am I lying? I don't think so. I've heard these stories. I've heard these stories. (laughs) One of my favorites was at the Little Baptist Church in Ashland. I won't say which one. No, I won't. Um, And there was this huge rift going on in the congregation because they had the audacity to bring in a new hymnal. Now, the new hymnal's published date was like in the 1920s. And this happened 10, 12 years ago. The new hymnal, right, in the 1920s. Well, it probably replaced one that was published in 1865 or something. But there was this big outcry, like, we can't change. So see, you know, you, you tell these stories and people like act like you're making them up. But sadly, you know, you all could probably tell some yourself, right? And so you've got to have faith-filled encouragers like Barnabas who have the eyes to see what God is up to, even if it looks different from what you're used to. Okay, these people are wearing different clothes. Okay, they're behaving in different ways. But these people are faith-filled encouragers that are able to kind of look through all of that and say, you know what, that's maybe not the way I would do it, but I think what's going on here is Jesus. And so I'm going to bless what I'm seeing over there. See, change is always threatening. But depending upon your temperament and the area that you're being asked to stretch and change in, it's it's easy to lock the door and say, no, no, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to do that. But do you want to be an encourager? Then be someone who injects courage and hope into a situation. Maybe it's somebody who's going through a big life change. Maybe you've met someone who's just lost their spouse. You know, along with the grief that they're feeling, the person may be feeling some fear. You know, their husband has died, their wife has died, and now they've got to face life alone. Or maybe someone's about to have their first child. I've never been a parent before. I don't know whether I'll be a good father or a good mother. Or someone's getting married and they're wondering, well, am I making the right decision? Maybe it's, I just moved to town. I, I hope I'll be able to make some new friends. I'm brand new in the office. I hope they'll accept me. I hope I'll be successful. One way to be an encourager is to come alongside someone who is going through a big change in their life. Speak words of hope. You can do this. It's going to be okay. You'll make it through. You're going to succeed. 
And so encouragers say yes to generosity, say yes to sponsoring people, say yes to new situations. And finally, as we read from the life of Barnabas, encouragers are people who say yes to people who have failed. In Acts 15, 36 through 39, we find these verses. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Now we don't know why John Mark left Pamphylia and didn't continue. Maybe missionary life didn't agree with him. It was too difficult. Maybe there were some kind of relational conflicts going on or some kind of discomfort. Maybe he was sick. Maybe he was homesick. Whatever the reason, well, I mean, maybe he didn't like the fact that Paul was leading this little excursion and not Barnabas. Or it could have been some combination of all these things. We simply don't know. It's all speculation. But whatever the reason it was, Paul considered it to be a desertion. He says, this is a guy who can't really be trusted anymore, and if we bring him along, it's going to hinder the mission. But on the other hand, Barnabas sees John Mark very differently. And I have no way to verify this, but perhaps he sees that there's been a change in this young man's life. That he wanted another chance. And yet Paul is rejecting him. And so the result of all that was that they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Well, you know, from what you can read into that, this is not sort of a friendly, easygoing difference of opinion. There's a lot of emotion in this dispute, right? Um, there's probably hard words that are being exchanged. But you can see in Barnabas the mark of the encourager, right? He's willing to say yes to somebody who's failed. And so Barnabas is there to put the courage back into Mark. Uh, he's communicating his faith in Mark, telling him, you can be useful again to the Lord. You don't have to be on the back burner, in the back seat forever. You don't have to sit on the bench. You can get back in the lineup. God is in the business of restoring failures. Think of the story of the prodigal son. The father welcomes back his erring son with open arms. Think of the story of Moses. Moses kills, murders an Egyptian. God calls him back into leadership. Rahab was a prostitute. She becomes an ancient ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus was a tax collector who was greedy and abuses his position. Jesus calls him to be a follower. Peter denies the Lord not once, not twice, three times. And yet Jesus calls him back into service. What does it look like for you to encourage somebody who's previously failed? To put courage back into somebody? To say, you can be better than that. You can aim higher than that. You believe that this person can and will succeed. If you're in a position to hire somebody at your company or your business, maybe you hire somebody who has a record. But they've turned things around. They're now on the right path. Maybe as a coach, you've got somebody who's messed up in a game. Well, you don't just immediately take them out of the game and stick them on the bench. Maybe you put an arm around them and say, you know, I know you messed up there, but I believe in you, and I'm going to keep you in the game. Maybe as an encourager, you're the one in your family who reaches out to the estranged family member. Maybe they hurt you, maybe they hurt somebody else, but you be the one that says, I still want to have a relationship with you. Encouragement is the responsibility of all of us. It's not like some of us need to be encouraged and others are the encouragers. Right? The book of Hebrews tells us, encourage one another. 
We all need to be encouragers, and we all need to be encouraged. Well, obviously, the big idea of this whole message is that let's start practicing evangelism by becoming an encourager. Okay, guys, got that stuff ready to go? So here's what I'd like you to do. Um, Jarrett and Jen are going to pass out um, note cards and envelopes. And the envelopes have already been stamped. So we're going to give each one of you a note card and a pre-stamped envelope. And what I'm going to ask each one of you to do is to write a note of encouragement to somebody. Don't throw the note away. Don't leave it in a stack on a table at the back of the, of the sanctuary or when you leave. Okay. What I'm asking each one of you to do is to just think about somebody that you want to encourage. And even better if it's somebody outside the walls of the church. Somebody you work with, a friend you know. Um, and just write them a brief note. It doesn't have to be flowery. It doesn't have to be poetic if you're not a poet. Just write them a brief note. Um, and the fact that you write them a physical note rather than a text message or an email, that alone is going to, to really impress them. Like, wow, somebody, look at this, I got mail. And it's not an ad. It's from, it's handwritten. I don't think I've ever seen this before. Right? So just as an example, if I were going to write a note to uh, Jennifer, my daughter-in-law, I might say something like this. I know that um, becoming a parent is probably something that's giving you some anxiety, but I know you're going to be a wonderful mother, and I believe in you, and I'm just you know, praying the best for you. So you could do something like that. So as you guys pass the cards out, and yes, that was actually true. <laughs> kind of funny. People are looking at me like, what? <laughs> so as your pastor, I want to tell you that you don't have to start with this explicit evangelism. You know, don't get put off by the people that you see out on the street corners, you know, yelling at folks and trying to give them stuff. You know, I, I suppose that maybe in some small percentage of the, of the time, that works. My guess is it's not a real high percentage. I don't think you can scare or browbeat somebody into the kingdom of God. But if you start by being their friend, by encouraging them in some way, as I said earlier, you then can open the door to a conversation that could lead to that. Right? So, you know, as they say in baseball, it's not all about hitting home runs. You can hit some singles, and you hit enough singles, and you'll still score. So you don't have to start out with this explicit evangelism. Start more simply. Start by learning to be an encourager. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for Barnabas as our example of encouragement in the New Testament. I thank you for all of the ways that he encouraged the church and was there to see it grow, whether it was through uh, his generosity or his sponsorship whether it was because he was willing to be a risk taker and say yes, or because he was willing to give someone a second chance in the midst of their failure. But Father, he encouraged those in the church and was privileged to be a part of its growth. And so, Father, I pray that all of us uh, will take that same attitude on and will actively look for ways to be an encourager whether it's through a spoken word or whether it's through uh, the simple writing of a note. Put people in our mind, in our path, that need that word of encouragement and then motivate us to be the one to give it to them. So we give you thanks and praise. We ask this all now in Jesus' name.
All right, one last thing while these guys are passing the cards out. Come here, peanut. <laughs> it wasn't me. Maybe it's because this is right here. Tell you what, let's do this. There. <laughs> this is Lainey's last day with us. Um, now, before you, your horrible intake of breath, let me explain. <laughs> we are, um, she and I sat down recently and we had a very heart-to-heart -heart talk. And I was talking about some of the things that, some of the places that we want to go as a church in the next year. And she was talking about what she's got on her plate in terms of some of the projects she's working on, in terms of this uh, new job that she has, and so forth. And so at the end, um, we basically decided that it made sense for both parties, the church and for her, um, for her to stop being our worship leader. And uh, so while that saddens me, and I know it saddens her too, um, it is what's best in this situation, I think, for both. And you know, sometimes that's what happens in, in church life, in relationships, and so forth. And it's not a goodbye. It's a farewell for now, see right? A see you later. So, and I know she had a couple of things she wanted to say, so I will just turn it over to you. Do you mind if I get a mic? I, just I do not. hired as a worship leader, I uh, definitely felt like this position was an assignment um, and that one day it would have its close. Um, I wasn't sure for how long I would be here, um, but I did know that I was coming here to learn and to give as much as I could possibly give. Um, and as very bittersweet as this is, um, it's, it's been, uh, after a lot of prayer and a lot of counsel, um, it's, it's very clear to me I think also to Jess that God is just kind of closing the door sweetly on uh, this chapter. Um, it is a recent decision, um, but please, 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 please know <laughs> it is definitely not the result of any sort of fractured relationship, uh, hint of bad blood between Jess or myself or the worship team or the leadership team. Um, I really, really love and value you guys as family. So it's a really difficult decision because of that. Sorry. It's it's sad for me to imagine not being here every Sunday morning with you guys, watching as you passionately worship with me. That has been something that has meant so much to me over the past two years. I've absolutely loved getting to be a part <laughs> Sorry. I've loved getting to be a part of this family. I have treasured um, the way that you guys have welcomed me in to your, your journeys. Um, and thank you for not putting me in a box. <laughs> Ugh. Thank you for not putting me in a box just because I was a young worship leader. Uh, thank you for encouraging me, um, both on my good days and on my less than great days. Uh, thank you for praying for me as I led. That has meant so much to me. Um, and thank you for loving worshiping with me. Um, please know that while I am leaving, it doesn't mean I won't ever be back. Um, you know, after you guys have found another worship leader, and they've established themselves, I definitely am looking forward to having moments where I can come back and visit you guys and see all of the amazing things that God's doing um, because that's, I know that uh, that is something that he will do. Um, yeah. So you guys are a really, really special church, and you have a ton to offer. Um, and my prayer is that every one of you, both individually and corporately, every day you guys become overwhelmed more and more with 
who God is and who you are in him, and that you would share that joy with your community, that it would just kind of overflow out of you. Um, Jeff and Sally, who's out in uh, the children's ministry area, you guys have a comeback tonight for me. Uh, I so valued being able to sit under your leadership and learn from you. Jeff, thank you for being my leader who's humble and gentle and encouraging. Thank you for never belittling me, but always encouraging me and just allowing me to run. It's, I've learned so much from you. And uh, Sally, <laughs> thank you for talking straight with me, <laughs> for encouraging me to have higher standards and for giving me invaluable marriage advice, which I hope to implement in a not so distant future. Uh, Andre and Cindy, uh, thank you for the way that you guys have become my right-hand people. I can't say man. Um, <laughs> you guys have always been there for me as friends, but also as leaders whose uh, wisdom and service I have just so, 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 so valued. Um, I've appreciated the way that you guys have both provided counsel and clarity to so many issues I've had to work through. Uh, you guys have been invaluable to me, and I am so incredibly proud of all the growth that you guys have come through over the last two years. It's been just the greatest privilege to watch that. Uh, John, <laughs> thank you for taking time to answer all of my deep wheezing. Um, and thank you for the moments of truly terrible jokes. <laughs> truly terrible. Um, I've really, really enjoyed being your ally in uh, getting Sally to give us buffets. Uh, it's, been, it's been so much fun, thanks. Um, and thank you also to the entire worship team, uh, Cindy, Andre, Nick, Virginia, Chris, Daniel, Tiffany, Sujin, Jasmine, and all the others who aren't here today. Uh, you guys have seen me on days where I have not had anything together by a long shot, um, and you still have supported me. Um, thank you so much for that. Thank you for worshiping with me. It has been so much fun, and I'm gonna really, really miss uh, getting to be entirely congealed with you. Um, this entire church has impacted me in too many ways to quickly say thank you, um, but thank you. I really love you guys, and I'm going to miss being here. So, I'm done. Is it okay? shall be on our way. So, Father, I just give you thanks. I, I, I no, let's wait a minute. I want to pray a blessing over you. Right. So, Father, I just I lift 